And if you're in uh, first through sixth grade, we have your classes. If, uh, if you haven't been here, we're now able to offer both in first service and second service our kids' ministry all the way up to sixth grade. And that is large, in large part because of so many of you volunteering. Uh, and we're so grateful for that. Some of you come to one service and serve and then come to the second service. And again, we're just grateful for that uh, and for you guys to do that. It's good to see everybody this morning. We're in 1 John chapter 4, and we're going to be in verses 1 to 6 this morning. Let me read the text, and then we'll look at this. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So the, the text, we need to remember the context. Anytime we're studying the scripture, we need to remember the context. But the context of these letters, John is writing to people that he knows, writing specifically to churches that he is very familiar with. In some cases, he may have helped start or he may have discipled or in some cases, he may just have a, a close affinity. He may have been there. They're, they're not far from where he is likely writing, which was the city of Ephesus. And so he's writing to people that he knows, and he's writing for two reasons. On the one hand, he's writing to give strength, to give assurance, to give confidence of faith. He's writing to encourage, to fan the flames of their faith, to give them boldness, to be able to walk in assurance in their salvation. He says in 1 John 5, 13, I write these things to you who believe in the Son of God that you may, have, that you may know that you have eternal life. So he's writing for assurance. But on the other hand... He's also writing to address false teachers and false teaching, to, to, to address a, a group of people that, were, that, were, that had come from within the midst of the church and were teaching some very contrary things to the gospel. They were teaching that they could have, that we could have a, an ex, a relationship to God by experience, by some special knowledge or some special revelation of God. In other words, and, and they taught this, and John has addressed this multiple, multiple times, they denied the necessity and sufficiency of Jesus. Particularly, and we'll see in the text, that he came in the flesh, that he is God in the flesh. And so by teaching this, they were teaching that there's another means of having a relationship to God. It's by experience, by, by emotion, by some special knowledge, some subjective thing. And John writes, and particularly this text, to give some assurance here to help them understand that there is a way for us to know God, and it is through the objective reality of Jesus Christ. And John is addressing that. And if we remember the context even further, so there's these, that he's writing to encourage, he's writing to also guard against false teaching. He's writing to churches, if we remember at the time, that are spread out all over the world, all over Asia Minor in particular where he's writing to, they don't have the full whole counsel of God. They have 
bits and pieces. They have maybe a letter from John or these letters from John and maybe a letter from Paul. They don't have the full council. And then they're spread out on top of that. So they don't have, there's not 200 churches in every city like there are today that they could go across the street to and say, hey, we heard this. Have you heard this? Are we on the same page? Are we right? They don't have that. And then add to that, they have these that have come up from within the church as false teachers that are teaching things contrary to who God is, contrary to who Jesus is. This is the context. So in other words, they have a shortage of resources and a shortage of information and an influx, an overload of false teachers. You think, well, we can't really relate to that. That's not true. We are the same thing, just in the inverse. We have an overload of information, an overload of podcasts and YouTube videos and Facebook nonsense. We have an overload of information and a glut of false teachers in that information. So we desperately need this word that John is saying to these churches here. How do we discern truth from error? How do we discern who is filled with the Spirit, speaking on behalf of God, championing Jesus Christ? How do we know that? How do we know that they're speaking an inspired word from God, nudged along by the Spirit, versus those who are false teachers? This is a question that we desperately need here and now today, just like they needed at their time. And what John does in these verses, and really the whole letters, But in these verses is he gives us first a command, a command, an imperative, something we need to do. And then he gives us the tool. He doesn't just go call us to to measure that wall, but then does not give us a measuring tape. He gives us the tool, the, the means by which we can measure those who are filled with the Spirit, sent by God, speaking on behalf of him. And then he gives us encouragement. And why does he give us encouragement? Because anytime he gives these tests, we can spin out, so we can spin our wheels, we can get so caught up in, did I understand, did I get this, have I done this, am I in, do I know, I don't know, I don't know, am I? And John says, little children, you are from God. You know these truths. So that's our three points this morning. First, the command, then the tool, then the encouragement. Command, tool, encouragement. Three words, that's all you got to remember this morning, right? Okay, wake up. All right, the command that John, thank you, you are there. All right, John gives, first he says, beloved, in verse 1. Beloved, this is always, when he says beloved, he says it later in verse 4, little children. Anytime he says that phrase, he's, hey, 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 listen, 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 listen. Focus, focus, eyes and ears right here, listen to what I'm saying. It's It's a means of calling attention to what he wants to emphasize it's a term of endearment. It's, it's telling us he knows these people. He has a relationship with these people. He's close to them, but it's also an attention grab. It's a way of focusing them in on what he is about to say. And what does he say? He gives an imperative or a command. It's in the language of the text. These words are imperative. Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. It's a two-part imperative, a two-part command. The first part is do not accept everything you hear. Do not believe everything that you hear. This is so important for us. Don't accept everything naively, without thought, without inspection, he's going to say. That's the second part of the command. 
The first part is do not accept, do not believe every spirit. What does he mean by spirit? Well, we are going to see, and it's in the latter half of that very first verse, he's talking about people, human teachers, and, and ultimately his concern is the, 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 the spirit behind those human teachers that's in, in sending them, commissioning them. It's either from God, he's going to say six different times in six short verses, from God, or it's from the enemy, from the evil one, from the devil. How do we know which one is which when these false teachers arise? When this, how do we know which one is from the Spirit? Well, this first imperative command is do not believe everything that you hear. Just like the church had many apostles and prophets that would go out inspired, sent by God to speak on his behalf, messengers that would go from these churches to other places to establish churches. There were also false teachers that were doing the same thing. And John says they were actively, intentionally going out to try to deceive. To try to deceive on who God is, the nature of God, and more particularly, Jesus and the nature of Jesus and his, his necessity and sufficiency for reconciling us to God. So he says, don't believe everything that you hear. And then he says the inverse, the second part of the, the command, which is instead, test the spirits. Test the spirits. That Greek word test means to inspect, examine, or evaluate something for its authenticity. To look intently into something for its authenticity. And again, the authenticity is, is its source. Where did it come from? Is it original from God? Is, it, is he the, the source? Is it overflow from him, his character, his nature, his desire for a relationship to you? And, and what he's revealed in the flesh in Jesus and revealed in his special revelation the word. And Is it from God? What's the source? That's John's concern. Don't believe everything that you hear, but test everything to see whether it is from God, he says, to see whether they are from God. And again, the motive, why? For many false prophets, I love the word he uses, pseudo-prophets, fake prophets, many false prophets have gone out into the world. He's going to say this in the second letter, in 2 John verse 7. He's going to say something similar, but he's not going to call them pseudo-prophets. He's going to call them flat out what they are, deceivers. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. So what is John telling us? First and foremost, what's the imperative? What's the command? Don't believe everything you hear. Don't believe every spirit. Don't believe every teacher. Don't believe everything that you're taught. Instead, inspect. Instead, test. Instead, evaluate. Now, we have to couple this, and I love this. The Bible is so balanced. It's the Word of God. It's inspired by the Spirit. It's given to us. We have this over here with John. It says, don't accept everything that you hear immediately. And Paul gives us the counter to that in 1 Thessalonians 5, 20, and 21. That we also have to maintain a, a tight grip on. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 20, and 21, Paul says, Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. So John is saying, do not accept 
every truth claim, every teacher that, that says something. Don't accept it immediately. And Paul is saying, don't reject. That's what the word despise means. It, and that's how it's translated elsewhere in the New Testament. Don't, dis, don't despise, don't reject every truth claim that you hear. The, these two things are the guardrails of wisdom that the Bible is giving us so that we as Christians don't go at, to one extreme or the other, just accepting everything gladly and, and, and naively that anyone says, and also to not be so quick to despise and reject everything that someone says. This is the balance that John and Paul are giving us, and you say, okay, well, if, 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 we're, not to, if we're not to accept everything, we're not to reject everything, then, then, then I'm, the, I'm the measuring rod. I'm the standard. I stand here in the middle, and I'm supposed to, to discern these two things. I'm the one that has to dis- decide which one's true. Which, and Paul goes a step further and says, not only are you not to accept everything quickly and, and just because someone says it, and not only are you to not just reject everything quickly, but he says in 2 Corinthians 13, but don't even believe yourself. Don't even assume that you are always right and know what's true. Second, Second Corinthians 13.5, he says three times, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, or, you, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test. Examine, test, test. Now, the, the Greek word there for examine is not the same Greek word as, as John is using, but the two words test are. What are Paul and John telling us to do? To, to examine everything that we hear, anything anyone says, anything, any, any claim they make, any truth claim that they make, examine it, test it, and don't automatically reject it. Examine it, test it, and don't stand in the middle assuming that you know what is right all the time, that you are right all the time. Instead, examine even Yourself, you could be in error. Your feelings could be in error. Your, your circumstances, you could be reading the room of your circumstances and you could be wrong. You are not automatically the test. This is so practical and so important for us. This means we don't accept everything, we don't reject everything, and we are not the litmus test ourselves. So if you're not the measuring rod and I'm not the measuring rod, then what's the measuring rod? What's the standard by which we measure everything? We test, we examine, we inspect to see the authenticity of something. How do we know the work of the Spirit versus the work of false teachers, false prophets, the work of the enemy? How do I discern truth from error? Well, see, John gives us a command, and this is, again, why the word is so beautiful. He gives us a command, but he doesn't just give us the command, again, go measure the wall. How? He gives us the measuring stick. He gives us the the tape measure itself. And that's in verse 2. He says, by this you know. That phrase is used 26 times in these short 105 verses 26 times. It's an important concept. And it's used twice just in these six verses. By this you know the Spirit of God. By this you know, he'll say in verse 6, the Spirit of truth versus error. By this you know 
every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. He's giving us the tool, the tape measure, the the measuring rod by which we can measure whether or not we are in truth or error, whether or not a teacher is in truth or error, whether or not someone is a false prophet, false teacher leading us astray or not, whether the Spirit is, is nudging this person along when someone says, hey, God told me to tell you this, thank you for that, I'm going to go inspect the, that. And how do we do that? He's giving us the tool. And the tool is a confession, first and foremost, about Jesus Christ. Jesus is the litmus test. Jesus is the watershed moment. Jesus is the dividing line. Jesus is the measuring rod. He is the standard. He is the tape measure that that John is giving here. The confession is that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. So let's understand this. There's two parts to what John's saying here. It's a confession. We need to understand what that means. What is a confession? And then it, it has some content. There's a specific confession that John is concerned about in terms of, of dis- discerning truth from error. So, so what does confession mean? To confess in this sense is to confess that something is true and then to align our lives according to that confession. Here, here, the Greek word literally, it, it means to make a confession that is visible. Now we think, we, we might think, okay, so it's, it's someone who just says, Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ has come. In other words, it, it's just a statement. But, but anyone can make that statement. John is not saying it's a, it's a confession that's just verbally visible that you see me make that confession. It's a confession that's made and then a life that aligns to that truth, to that claim, to that confession. Does the person make the statement and then does their life align with the statement? That's what he means when he uses this word confession. Again, we use this illustration when you when you when we first started this this series, but the illustration of of the chairs. I know your confession about chairs. You didn't say it. You didn't say, I trust a chair to hold me up. You visibly displayed it. You all walked in here. No one inspected the chairs. Everyone sat down. I know by your giving yourself to the chair, by your trusting yourself into the, 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 the safe arms of the chair, I know by your actions, by your attitude and disposition, sitting in chairs right now, nobody's doing this, I know you are visibly giving a confession of your trust in chairs. And John's making the same statement. He's been making that throughout these letters. It's a visible confession. It's a confession of, and it has content, that we align our lives to and live according to. And what is that confession? Summarily, Jesus is who he says he is, did what he said he did, and he is my hope. There's two parts of that. Again, this is what the confession he's going to say. It's, it's not just a statement that he did, is who he says he is, and did what he says he did. It's he is also my hope, my life, and everything about me, hope in Jesus. 
He is my righteousness. He is my acceptance before God. I, I have no other hope besides him. That's the alignment part. So let's look at the content. And again, the, 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 the hope that we're hoping in. But let's look at the content. What is the confession that Jesus says? By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. That's, a, that's an important phrase. It, it's so packed with theology and doctrine. We cannot say, I follow Jesus and I don't need doctrine. John won't allow that. John is burying us in deep, rich theology and doctrine in this statement. Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah, Jesus who is the anointed one, Jesus the deity, Jesus God, has come in the flesh. In other words, the, the, the confession is the full deity of Jesus and the full humanity of Jesus. Both and. And anyone who denies either or of those parts is not from God. Again, this is important because the false teacher, teachers were denying either both together or one or the other. Let's ask a question maybe to understand this better. What why is confessing, let's take his deity first, why is confessing Jesus' deity, his full deity, that he is God? John chapter 1. Why is that so essential? What is lost in the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, if we deny his full deity? If we deny that Jesus is full deity, that he, that he is God, and we say he, he was just a good man. He certainly was a historic figure, a, a human, a, and a good man. But he wasn't actually God in the flesh, which is what some of the false teachers are teaching. What happens, what's lost in the gospel when we do that? If we say that, if we say he's only human, he wasn't fully God in the flesh, well, then we have someone who can identify with us, who can empathize with us, who knows what it's like to suffer and to, and, and to struggle with sin and to be tempted. But we don't have a Savior powerful enough to rescue us. We don't have someone who can do what he said he could do, which is to forgive sins. We don't have someone who can raise from the dead and has the power by his resurrection power, to raise us from the dead. And if we don't have those things, then we are not, through him, reconciled to God. We don't have a savior, a redeemer, a reconciler. We have a good man who taught some good things, who can relate to me and my struggle and in my life, but we don't have a savior with the power to redeem. This is why it's important. It's essential for us to acknowledge that Jesus is fully God in the flesh, which is why John starts the Gospel of John the way he does and just beats that drum like a dead horse over and over again. He was with God. He was God. He is God. He is God in the flesh. That's what John says throughout in John chapter 1. Another reason this is so important is our sins are against God and God alone. Our sins are against Him. 
And if our sins are against him, then only God can forgive our sins. And this is why it's so important that he is fully deity, fully God. Only someone who is infinite God could bear the full penalty, the full weight, the full wrath of God. And this is what we get in Jesus. This is what the Bible is telling us, that Jesus is God in the flesh. It's essential that we confess this, that we acknowledge this. If not, then we are still lacking We are still on the hunt. We are still not reconciled to God. We are not reconciled to God. We are still on the hunt for a Savior and a Redeemer and a Reconciler. We are still in our sins. We are still without hope, as, as Paul says in Ephesians, if Jesus is not fully God. So let's flip the coin and let's say on the, 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 ask the question on the opposite side. If, if Jesus, if we, why is confessing Jesus' full humanity also essential? Okay, so, so it's essential for us to confess that he's fully God. Why is it essential for us to confess that he's fully human? What's lost in the gospel if we deny that he is God in the flesh? That he's fully human? If we deny that Jesus was fully human that he, that, that he, and say he's, he's fully God, but he's not God in the flesh, then he has the power to forgive. He has the power to reconcile. He has the power to, to, to redeem and to, to reconcile us to God. But he, he is not human. He cannot relate. He cannot empathize. He, as, as Hebrews says, he cannot sympathize. He, can, he does not know what it's like to be tempted in every way and yet be without sin, as the writer of Hebrews goes on and on about. He cannot empathize and sympathize with us. He cannot be our perfect substitute. I love what one writer, Sabidi Anabowile, says in, in his humanity. Jesus offers to God everything that we owe God. In his humanity, in his perfect obedience to God's commands, he offers to God the obedience that we refuse to give and could not give because of our fallen sinful nature. In other words, Jesus lived the life we could not live. He lived the perfect life that we could not and would not live. And therefore, he is our perfect substitute who who knows what it's like to be tempted in every way and yet be without sin. This is why it's so important. He paid with his flesh the penalty that I owed. He lived the life I could not live, and he died the death that I deserve. He is our perfect substitute. And so when we study this and we see this, what we see is that we have the two halves of the gospel. We have the holiness of God in Jesus, but we also have the hope of God in Jesus. And to deny one means that we have the holiness, but we don't have hope. Or to say that we have the hope, but we don't have his holiness. He, he knows what it's like to relate, but we cannot be reconciled to God because he doesn't have the power. Both are essential. And this is what John is saying here. Anyone who does not, by this you know the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. He says it again in in 2 John 7, over and over again. It's Jesus come in the flesh. This is what the false teachers were teaching. They were teaching that Jesus was not fully God. That he was not God in the flesh. And they were denying this. And John is saying anyone who does that is not 
from the Spirit, not filled with the Spirit, not sent by the Spirit, not speaking on behalf of the Spirit. Which leads us to another question. Why is that confession evidence of someone filled by the Spirit, speaking on behalf of the Spirit, sent by the Spirit? And that's where we realize in John chapter 14, in John chapter 15, in John chapter 16, three different chapters, Jesus teaches us that the Spirit's primary role is to spotlight Jesus. And anyone who is not spotlighting Jesus is not sent by the Spirit. Listen to what Jesus says. Jesus says this in John 14, 26. He will teach, the Spirit will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. That doesn't mean he's, he's going to come and he's going to teach you everything there is to ever know in the world. It means he's going to teach you everything you need to know about Jesus. That's what the Spirit is sent for. And Jesus is saying he will teach you. He's the teacher. That's his role. That's what he does. John 15, 26 but, but when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. That's what he does. That's his role. That's what he's coming to do. He will bear witness. He will, he will highlight Jesus. He will point you to Jesus. He will, he will highlight who Jesus is and what he came to do. And in his humanity and his deity, he will point to him. John 16, 13 to 34. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak on His own authority. But whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. Verse 14. He will glorify Me. For He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. On this very point, J.I. Packer is a famous author and, and writer and theologian. He, he, was, he was going to church one winter night. And he was teaching on that very phrase, he will glorify me. And he was struggling to come up with an illustration to communicate that truth. And he's walking on a snowy night and he rounds the corner to his church and he sees his church completely lit up from the spotlights that are sitting in front of the church. And it's beautiful, it's a snowy night, the church is illuminated and he says, there it is. That's the role of the Spirit. The role of the Spirit is to spotlight Jesus. And if a spotlight is positioned perfectly, you never see it. You only see the thing that it's illuminating. And that's what Packer says is the role of the Spirit. He glorifies Jesus, making him glorious in people's eyes. He hoists the flag of Jesus so that we see Jesus over everything else, through everything else. That's the role of the Spirit. That's the role of every believer, follower of Christ. Hoist Jesus. Look to Jesus. Eyes on Jesus, not on me. That's what makes us say with John the Baptist. He says, look, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He must increase. I must decrease. That is the evidence of someone who's filled with the Spirit, sent by the Spirit, speaking on behalf of the Spirit. They're hoisting the flag of Jesus. They're raising attention to Jesus. They're looking and directing things away from themselves to Jesus. Why? Because that's the primary role of the Holy Spirit. That's what he's going to do. Which leads to a whole host of conversations which you could get into in 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 and 14. Why Paul says all that he says there. 
If we're turning attention in on ourselves and in on our gifts and in on our knowledge and in on our abilities, then we are not functioning in the Spirit. We're not listening to the Spirit. We're not keeping in step with the Spirit. The Spirit does not gift us so that we look in on, look at what I can do. He gifts us so that our gifts turn back to Jesus. Which is a question for us. Are your gifts hoisting the flag of Jesus? Are you leveraging your gifts to hoist the flag of Jesus? To point to Jesus, to serve Jesus, to declare Jesus, to make Jesus known. Anyone filled with the Spirit speaking on behalf of God will do the same thing. Now, what is the primary tool the Spirit uses in our lives? Because that even in and of itself to say, okay, um, they're filled with the Spirit and the Spirit points people to Jesus, it can be somewhat subjective. How do I know this, this person when they say, I'm, hey, the Spirit told me to say this and, and, and is nudging me to, prompting me to, to tell you this and God's nudging me to, to, to say this. How do I know that's the Spirit? That's, that can also be very subjective if you, if you think about that because that's an Inward revelation. It's not too dissimilar to what these false teachers are taking. Just trust us. We've got a knowledge. Just trust us. God revealed this to me. John says, no. Don't believe everything that you hear. Inspect it. And what's the primary tool that spirit he works in means? What's the primary means he uses? It's the revealed word of God. The whole counsel of God, which we have, they did not have at this time. We have something they didn't have. They had the apostles. They had the eyewitnesses. They had, they had a lot of things. They had letters. They did not have the whole council brought together. And the Spirit uses the whole council, the objective, revealed Word of God, to teach, to reveal, to point to Jesus. This is what Jesus says in John 16, verses 7 and 9. If I do not go away... The Helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. That word convict, it means to unmask. It means to reveal. It means to expose. And to expose, unmask, and reveal means to teach. To point something out. Hey, what you're hoping in is insufficient. There's a better way. Again, this is the role of the Spirit. To convict of sin is to say all those things that you're trusting in, all those things you're hoping in, all that sense, that false sense of righteousness you have in yourself because you did something and you said something and you accomplished something and you know something, that's not your hope. That's not your righteousness. There is a, a true righteousness and His name is Jesus. Come from God. That's what it means to convict, teach of sin, to reveal all the, expose the false hope, and then to point to righteousness, true righteousness, true hope. And then he says judgment. To convict of judgment, what does that mean? It means our judgment, the world system of judgment, is false, inadequate, insufficient. We will one day face judgment. We will stand before a holy God. And what is the Spirit calling us to do? Repent and hope in Jesus. 
Don't hope in yourself. Don't hope in what you've done. Don't hope in all the things you can do and say and know. Hope in Jesus and his righteousness. Look to, to where righteousness has come, a righteousness from God. Romans chapter 1, verse 17. There is a righteousness that comes from God, and his name is Jesus. That is your hope. If that's not your hope, we will face judgment before God, and we will have to give an account. This is the role of the Holy Spirit. I love the, I've shared it before, John, John Owens, Puritan pastor, quote about this. He says that the, the, in God's great wisdom, the, he gave Jesus, who John calls as our first advocate, our great advocate, he gave Jesus, who as our advocate stands at the ear of the Father, speaking on behalf of you and I, those that hope in him, speaking on behalf of saying, my blood has covered them, that I have atoned for them, that one I redeemed, that one I rescued, I know them by name, they're ours, they're mine, that, that they belong to us. That's what the, Jesus is doing, interceding on our behalf right now. And Owen says, and the other advocate, John calls, Jesus calls the second advocate, the, 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 the other advocate, he is constantly lifting our eyes and saying, look at what Jesus is doing for you. Look at where your hope is. Look at where your strength is. Look at Jesus. Look at what he's doing. He's whispering in the Father's ear right now, your name. Look at what he did. His blood shed for you. His body broken for you. Look at what he sacrificed. Look at how he loved you. Look, look, look at him. So the, the first advocate whispers on our behalf, and the second advocate whispers in our ear to point us to the first. This is his role. Now, this is what leads us to the encouragement John gives in verses 4 to 6, our last point. The encouragement John gives. Because when we look at this and we evaluate this and we test ourselves and we test the, the false teachers, we can sometimes spin out. We can sometimes get hung up and, and caught up in, have I and did I? Did I do it enough? And I don't know. Oh, my goodness. And he says, again, hey, look up here. Look up here. Focus. And that's what he says. Little children. You are from God. From God. You are from the source. You, you the other places you use that phrase, from God, it's born of God, born of Him, born again. You are from Him. You've been born again. You've, you, you, you've been redeemed. You've been rescued. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, the false teachers. How, how have we overcome the false teachers? Because you've hoped in Jesus. Because Jesus is your hope. Because you sat down in the chair of Jesus. You have sat down in his trusting arms. You've leaned back into him. You've put your hope in his righteousness. You're not hoping in your own righteousness. You've denied the false teachers by your actions. You've rejected them. You're not saying, I don't need Jesus. You're saying, I need Jesus. And I know that about you. I've heard you make that confession. I've seen it in your life. You have overcome them, the false teachers. And then he says this amazing phrase. You've done everything but deny Jesus. And for that reason, the spirit of Jesus, this Jesus himself, the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, lives in you, dwells in you. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. He who is in you. He who dwells within you. He who abides in you. He who has taken up residence in the heart of your home is greater than he who is in the world, the Spirit 
the, the, the evil one who's inspiring these false teachers in the first place. He is greater. The victory has already been won. You have overcome them. And how did they overcome? By the Spirit who is at work in them. The enemy, and he says in verse 5, the enemy and the flesh are evident in the world, in the, in the teaching of the world, and and then the loves of the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. But what does he say? We are from God. He says that's the second time. He's telling them their identity. This is who you are. The God of the universe dwells within you. Paul says that in, in Colossians 2, in Colossians 3, that, that, that all of God dwells in Jesus. And then what does he say later? All of Jesus dwells in you. What does that mean? All of God dwells in Jesus. All of God dwells in us. That his resurrection power is ours, Paul prays, that we would know more fully the resurrection power of Jesus in our lives. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead, Paul prays, Oh God, please let the Ephesian church know the power that you raised Jesus from the dead is residing and pulsating within them. May they know that because of that resurrection power, they've been, they were dead and now alive and they've been brought together. May they know the inheritance they have in the saints, the brotherhood and the sisterhood and the family that they've been given, the new kingdom family that we have in Jesus. That's what Paul prays. That's what John is saying that we have within us. We are from God. And for that reason, because he resides within us, because the Spirit dwells in us, whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the Spirit of truth and the Spirit of error. The Spirit leaps when the Spirit speaks. The Spirit leaps within you as the Spirit speaks through me. And, and as you speak to me and you're speaking the truth of God's Word and lifting my eyes when I'm in despair and discouragement, lifting to me, me to Jesus, the Spirit speaks. You're right, you're right, you're right, you're right. That's what the Spirit does. In Jeremiah chapter, I think it's 23, verses 28 to 29, God says, let he who speaks my word speak it faithfully. My word is like fire that breaks rocks. My word is like fire. You remember at the end of, of Luke, when the disciples were walking along the road of Emmaus and they're staring into the sky and Jesus comes and stands by them and says, what, what are you guys staring at? And they tell him what has happened, as though he doesn't know, because they don't recognize him. And they begin to walk on the road to Emmaus and Jesus teaches them. And then he comes in, they invite him in for dinner and he teaches and then he reveals himself when he breaks the bread and then he disappears. And they said, did not our hearts burn with fire? Did our hearts not burn when he opened the scriptures to us? Why? Because the scriptures are like fire. The Spirit speaks and when the Spirit speaks, we, the Spirit leaps and draws us, inspires and, and moves us to respond. That's what John is saying here. So final implication. Friends, brothers, sisters, we cannot accept everything that we hear. Neither can we reject everything that we hear. 
Neither can we even trust ourselves sometimes. Instead, we must test, test, test. And how do we test? We test according to the Spirit and His confession. And what is His confession? What is it, where is it revealed? It's revealed in the written Word of God. We must be like the Berean Christians in Acts chapter 17. You're probably familiar with the story, but Paul shows up in Berea and he's teaching the gospel there. And it says in Acts 17, 10 to 12, The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble, more noble, the, the phrase literally means more willing to listen, willing to listen, charitable in their listening. Than those in Thessalonica, who were in Thessalonica, those who rejected every prophecy, every truth claim, immediately outright dismissing it. He says, no, the Bereans were, were more noble. They were more willing to listen. But they don't just listen and accept everything. They didn't reject everything. They didn't accept everything. Instead, they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily. To see if these things were so. Many therefore believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. They received the words with eagerness. With cheer. With charity. With joy. They inspected everything they heard. They sifted it through the word. And they let that be their guide. They examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Is this true? Is this your sifting mechanism? Are you in the Word so much that it, it serves as a tool and a, and, a, and a sieve and a sifting mechanism for you and all the things that you encounter in life? Are you, a, are you making this confession of Jesus and then aligning yourself to that confession? He is fully God. He is fully human. And He is my only hope. How do I know these things? Because the Spirit has revealed them in the Word. And I will trust what the Spirit has revealed. And I will align my life according to this. Is this our hope, our confession this morning about Jesus? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit-inspired, spirit-written word that is like fire with the power to break rocks, the rock-hard hearts that we have. Take your word. And do that work. And may, as you take your word and do that work, may our hearts burn within because the scriptures have been opened to us. Because this is where truth is found. This is where life is found. This is the, the way that I should live. This is, the, this is the truth that you call me to. That you've convicted of sin. You've told me what's false. And you're giving me what's true. And you're calling me to constant, evermore repentance and right living before you. May that be true of every person in this room. As, as we've hoisted the flag of Jesus, if there's someone in this room that does not, has not yet hoped in Jesus, may they hear the Spirit working. May the lion of the Word of God devour their rock-hard heart. Soften them such that they would submit and repent and confess Jesus as their only hope. Take your Word and teach us more throughout these days. Change our lives as a result. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.